Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Female Driven Podcast. We three are professional film and television writers, and we're here to talk about how to make it as a professional writer in the entertainment industry. So we started this podcast to cover what we wish we had known when we were getting started so that you guys can all learn the easy way what we learn the hard way. I'm Erica Schreiber. I mostly write features. I'm Jess Cho. I mostly write for television. I'm Hannah Rosner. I also mostly write for television. Today we're talking about writing samples. We're going to talk about the different types of writing samples. What should you write? What have we written? What is the difference between a TV spec and an original pilot? We're going to get into all that fun stuff. Right. This is like what we do. This is the the product. All these other things we talk about, general meetings and rep stuff. Yeah, you can't do any of that if you don't have scripts. So have all of us written a TV spec? Yes. It's been a long time, but I wrote a Good Wife TV spec. So that tells you how old that sample was. TV specs used to be something that people absolutely needed in their arsenal. And then we kind of moved away from it. And now we're actually maybe starting to move back towards a little bit. So like, let's let's talk about what that means, a TV spec script. A TV spec is something that you write that nobody's paying you for. Uh, nobody asked you to write it. You're writing it on spec. And it's a writing sample that you can use, but it's like an episode of an existing show. So, you know, back in the day, everybody was writing a Friends spec or a Simpsons spec. I remember hearing about when the Star Trek Next Generation shows uh, were running, like Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, that not only could you submit a spec episode to them to get hired, but they might actually, like there are episodes that were submitted as spec scripts. And then maybe those writers eventually ended up with jobs, but like sometimes they just bought Star Trek spec scripts and, and made that script. And, and, and I, I find that fascinating. And that definitely doesn't happen anymore. Two of the three showrunners I've worked for, that's how they got their first job on staff was writing a spec. There are showrunners who will read specs now. That does exist. They can't read specs for their own show for legal reasons, right? Like someone along the line ruined that for everyone. If you want to write like a for This Is Us or something like that, you might have a spec for a similar drama. But you just can't write a This Is Us spec. That's uncommon, though. Most showrunners are not reading specs. But I saw something on Twitter recently that that's making a resurgence. And we'll see. But the most common use for a spec pilot is for the fellowships. The network writing fellowships. Yeah, you guys both did fellowships. Did you have to write specs for that? I did, yeah. When I was applying for fellowships, every network writing fellowship required at least one spec. Some of them required two. And only a few of them required original pilot. It was a very useful thing to have a couple of spec scripts in your uh, portfolio in case you wanted to apply to these things. I wrote a Handmaid's Tale spec for the Warner Brothers program, and this was like three years ago. So Handmaid's Tale was... Only the first season had come out, so that was a good show to spec at the time. Now that it's in season four, it's not such a good show to spec. But I believe all of them that year did require a spec. And then for Warner Brothers, if you got past the first round, if they liked your spec and you made it to the next round, then they also wanted a, a pilot. Generally, you know, it's good to have a spec for the fellowships. And, you know, again, like the jury's kind of out on whether or not it's it's worth your time to write a spec because will showrunners read them? Is it useful to have a spec if, you know, outside of the fellowship programs and and submitting for that. And my feeling is everyone should write a spec because it teaches you how to write a show in someone else's voice and write in the tone of another show, because that is your job as a staff writer. So it's great practice. I completely agree. I feel like it's weird that these have kind of fallen out of favor and that I recommend it to, to all aspiring TV writers to just do it because that's going to be your job. People can read your original 
pilot sample and they'll know that you can world build or they'll know that you can write character voices really well, but will you be able to execute a showrunner's vision? There's no better example of that than to write a really good spec script. Hannah, you said you wrote a Handmaid's Tale spec, but it's not a good idea anymore because now it's fourth season. So whenever we talk about writing specs, it's always a good idea. And for people who don't know, I'm sure a lot of people don't already know this, but writing a spec is good for a show that is in its earlier seasons. But not first, I would say. If it's had two seasons, that's a good show to spec. But if it's gone longer than four, that is not a good show to spec. And it should be a mega successful show, by the way. Don't write a spec for a show that's on the bubble because you're eventually it's going to get canceled, you know, and you're not going to be able to use that spec any longer. So write a spec for a show that's got legs and that you'll be able to use for hopefully at least a couple of years. Yes. So as long as that TV show is still running, basically you can c continue using that spec. That's why we keep emphasizing don't write a spec for a show that's been going on for a while. I think it's hard to decide what show to spec if you're submitting for a fellowship. In my year of submitting, everybody was kind of watching the same few shows like Killing Eve or Barry. Like those were the big, those were good shows to spec because they were fun and flashy and, and in the zeitgeist and like everyone was watching them, but they weren't the biggest show on television that everybody was probably writing one. So you kind of want to find like a show that's like cool and hip and niche, like Fleabag as an example of something that's like, this is a really hot in the zeitgeist kind of show right now. Pretty much everyone in the industry has seen it, but you don't want to be up against everybody else is also writing for that show. I mean, I think my best advice for what show you should spec is a show that you love and you're like, this will be a challenge and this will show my chops. This is in my wheelhouse. It's, you know, in my genre, but it's not the most popular show on television that everybody else is also writing. A lot of network fellowships, they'll provide you with a list of specs that you have to write for. If you're planning on applying for a fellowship, definitely check the websites and see if the show you want to write is on that list. Otherwise, you've just written a whole spec and you can't actually submit it. What are some of the like do's and don'ts of, of spec writing, would you guys say? Like things to do, things to avoid? Well, I think the key to any spec episode is to make it memorable. When people read your sample, your spec, they've probably been reading a ton of these scripts. And if the show is on the air, they want to know, A, would this spec fit into the tone of the show? But B, is it a storyline that wows me and surprises me in some way? And there are a couple of famous examples of specs that have been so surprising that they've gotten those writers a ton of meetings. I remember a writer friend of mine telling me about, I think in the 90s when Friends was popular, a writer wrote a Friends spec where all the members of Friends, the cast of Friends, they basically all sleep together and then they all get HIV. That's wow. insane. That's insane. <laughs> but because it was so insane and it, it was still written in the upbeat tone of the show, whoever wrote that got a ton of meetings. I have a similar story that I remember hearing when I was in school. It was when Sopranos was on or had just ended or something like that, that somebody wrote a Sopranos spec script that had AJ, James Gandolfini's son, when he was like 12, he like follows his father and his father goes to visit his mistress and the kid comes in and the mistress gives this like 12 or 13 year old boy, a blowjob. Wow. Right. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you look at that, like, first of all, ooh. but second of all, that's memorable. And it fits within the world of the Sopranos and that like some really fucked up shit happens on that show. It pushes the envelope in the direction of the show. That's something that the writers probably would have never done, or maybe they just didn't think of it. I don't know. But like, that stands out because it feels like it's within the world of the show, but it's a really envelope pushing topic. 
So you can write a spec that feels so much like just another episode that it's not it's not going to feel special. Like this is your chance to put a specific spin and go go big on whatever your premise is, you know? So like you a really memorable premise is is going to get your spec noticed. I can't say that I would recommend doing the equivalent of the friends getting HIV today. I feel like that was kind of like a, a different time of writing, but like it still has to feel like the show. But yeah, a premise that's very much in your wheelhouse, executed in the voice of the show, is going to make your spec stand out. Presumably you're writing a spec that you're a big fan of that show. Think about, okay, if this was my favorite episode, why? Like, what would make it my favorite? What would make me come home and tell my significant other, like, I watched this episode and this was the best episode and this is why, and try to infuse it with that special sauce. For me, the way that I... I think I tried to make my Handmaid's Tale spec stand out was I sort of took the approach of make sure the show, if this feels like it could be within the mythology of the show, but still push the envelope so people would be like, whoa, is that possible? Could that have happened? So I had in my Handmaid's Tale spec, the premise was there's a doctor that's been raping the handmaids. And it's sort of like in a world where rape is happening all the time. Uh, on the show, but it's usually like under the pretext of the family unit, the really fucked up family unit. Right. There's state sanctioned rape. And then how do they treat non-state sanctioned rape is a really, a really great question to pose in that kind of a spec. June kind of tries to take a stand against that um, in the only way that she can, even though she obviously has no voice and no power and ends up sort of recruiting Serena as uh, her unlikely confidant in this, you know, this is like the one thing that they sort of have in common. And you find out that June had an abortion and that Serena had a miscarriage. So I kind of took two what would be considered big swings, I think, for somebody who knows the show and knows the backstory really well. Those are not things that had been established, but could have happened and impacted the story in such a way. Ultimately, all these elements help the episodes stand out in addition to being very in the voice of the show and very much in the, the tone and, and making sure that the characters matched the characters in the show and things like that. You know what I really love about that is that it deepens the show. It doesn't contradict the show. Like that, that's, I think, a really good uh, guidepost of like, you know, obviously you can't just kill a character who's regular on the show in your spec, but like, is there a way to bring something to light about that character that doesn't contradict what the writers are going for, but adds something really cool and really interesting. And that's that's exactly what you did. I feel like you were very brave to do a spec for that show. When I was trying to figure out what show to spec, I chose a show that was kind of episodic. If you're specking a serialized show, then you have to figure out a way to weave your story in the overarching, very tight threads of the seasons that exist. But if you're specking an episodic show, I don't know, like a Law & Order-esque show where it's like a case of the week, then you just write your case and then you figure out what your case is and you just have the characters react to it. And so that's sort of what I did. I specced Grimm to get into the CBS program. I mean, unfortunately, we don't have as many procedural shows now. Procedural is a really good way to go for specking. It's wise to do, especially if, if you're the reason you're writing a spec is primarily for the purpose of submitting to a fellowship program. The fellowship programs are all run by networks and networks have a lot of procedurals They have a lot of, you know, they're network shows. So it is a, a much safer bet to spec a show that's episodic rather than serialized because yeah, it's, it's also just, that's what they're going to be looking for is to staff somebody on a network show, but they also want to see that you have a unique voice and you can grasp some more elevated storytelling. So if you are writing a network show, still try to 
make it unique and make it stand out. I want to push back a little bit on both those things. First of all, I'm not sure if it was wise. I think it was easier for me. <laughs> In my year at CBS, I was the only person who wrote a spec of a procedural show. Everyone else had written a spec of a prestige serial. And so I was really surprised by that because I thought, you know, we're this is a network fellowship, so shouldn't we all have been trying to write specs that are in that vein? And apparently the people who are reading these applications, they seem to favor the more prestigious, the more serialized shows. You know why I bet that is, is that when you're writing for TV, I feel like networks are thrilled to get samples, whether it's spec or otherwise, that are cable. And cable is not thrilled to get samples that are network. That like, even though this is, and this is, by the way, something I, I don't like about our industry is that this kind of fetishization of cable shows and serialized storytelling, when in fact, like the networks, their bread and butter is, is procedurals and a specific tone that engages more people. Prestige television is for more niche audiences. And so there's just this attitude, I think, in the industry of like, that's better, right? It's better to, to, to be cable, to have all the sex and all the violence and all the F-bombs as opposed to, and I feel like I keep bringing up This Is Us, you know, like the power of that kind of storytelling hasn't gone away. It's just for some reason kind of looked down on. And I, I think that maybe that's why just they were looking for cable, even though they're network. I did want to get back to what something you said, Jess, a moment ago about how, why it's hard to spec a serialized show. And one of the big reasons for that, I think you mentioned is there's a storyline, there's an arc to the series and to each season. And so it's pretty hard to find an episode idea or a premise that's going to not totally disrupt that structure. So what I did was I set my episode in between like episode eight and nine of season one, which had 10 episodes. So it was like, not the finale, not gonna, and not taking place after the finale, which you can also do. A lot of people do, like if there's a first or second season, they'll write the next consecutive season opener. But what I did was I tried to slot it into season one so that it would still be relevant. It wouldn't feel like once season two came out and if it was completely different than mine, mine would just be less relevant. So I tried to keep it within, like it was like eight and a half, basically, episode eight and a half. And the men were off doing something else. So it was just focused on the female characters. And it sort of could have existed in between episode eight and nine without without changing any of the, the storylines that happened in season one. Sort of an episodic episode in a serialized show. Let's talk about pilot samples. And just to clarify, so like, again, we have, we have TV spec scripts, which are specifically an episode of an existing show. Pilot sample is whatever your little brain can come up with that's a TV show. It is entirely your original idea. In terms of how to do that in a way that makes it stand out as a sample, and I'll add here, sales of pilot scripts are very rare. So the most common usage for an original pilot is as a staffing sample. Most fellowships, as far as I know, require one now, if not all of them. So what do you guys think that readers, and I'm talking about producers and network execs and showrunners, what do you think that they're looking for in an original pilot sample? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind for me is voice. Which is, again, sort of a, an interesting thing because they're looking to see if you have a unique voice um, and a unique point of view, because that just means you're a very good writer. If, you're in, if you can engage the reader, you know, and you have a sort of a voice that kind of jumps off the page and, and hooks the reader in, that's super important. And it's kind of one of the first things that I feel like they notice. I could be wrong, but this is just what I've been told by a lot of execs and, and friends who do the reading. 
on the flip side, it's funny because you have to also be able to write in the voice of the show that you're trying to staff on. So they're both looking to see if you have your own unique voice, but with the caveat that that voice may not exist on their show. If you're a showrunner, you want to know that someone is capable of expressing a voice on the page. And if you are a producer, a network executive, you are looking for a a strong voice that you can then put on one of your projects or one of your shows, right? Like, obviously, you need to show your ability to create memorable characters and to world build if it's a genre show or to make someone laugh if it's a comedy show. Like, it's basically your chance to show your chops. And everyone wants to work with someone who has great chops. My pilot samples that go out tend to have better play among the executives if I have at least one major character who is my ethnicity, because a lot of times as a diverse writer, that's kind of why I am being considered. It's part of my parcel, right, of, as a writer of color. I don't know how many times I meet with an exec, they say, I love your sample, I particularly love this Chinese character, is that you? Is this about your experiences and how you see the world? Because we have this Asian character, then we need a writer in the room to help write that voice. I'm not saying that you should do that for your pilot script. I'm just saying that it is a thing to be aware of. Let's take a moment to just have silent fury at the way that things are. (laughs) It's going to take my moment. You're not the first person who I've heard say that, Jess. I know that from hearing from some Black writers, like they are often hired because there is a Black character and they're like, can you express that Black character's voice? And when they show interest in writing other characters that they might also identify with or identify more, they find themselves let go after one season. On, on a lighter note, to play devil's advocate to the, you know, there are executives out there that actually want authentic storytelling. And there are showrunners that want somebody in a room, you know, not just to fill a diversity slate, but also they want, they actually do want to make, they have a character. You know, we have a couple of We have a few characters of color on our show, and we have a few characters who are gay or pan. And so it was important to our upper levels that we have writers who actually have lived that authentic experience. So if you have a unique point of view and a unique backstory, if you are a diverse writer, if you are LGBTQ, I'm not saying play into that because it's so hot right now. I'm actually saying like, don't shy away from that because... Um, that's going to come through in your writing, help you stand out, and also help, hopefully, uh, best case scenario, get you in a room where they want to hear what you have to say. They want the kinds of stories that you want to tell. I feel like you aren't going to know whether you're dealing with a smart showrunner who knows they have blind spots or a showrunner who's filling quotas until you actually get that room started. And it's so upsetting when it goes the other way. But yeah, like, if I had a room, I would want to fill it with people who have different perspectives than mine. And I would, of course, actually want to listen to those people. There's just so little putting your your money where your mouth is in this town. I totally agree with Hannah. It's definitely a mixed bag. I would say in my experience, it's been 50-50, which isn't that bad, I guess, all things considered. Well, hopefully it'll get better. We're just three cynical ladies that have seen a lot. <laughs> and uh, hopefully our <laughs> listeners know we want you all to be aware, but also there are good people out there too. Something that I want to note is I feel like I, I hear or I, I sometimes even get like sent scripts by Writers who are getting started who are like, this is an anthology series or this is a limited series. And like, I mean, they, they've sent a, an original pilot for one of those two things. And I would just like to say, don't do that. The only, if you look at the anthology or limited series that are actually being created, they are only being created by very high level people. Like Ryan Murphy gets to do that. And no one wants your anthology series uh, if you are not 
Ryan Murphy or whoever, right? Like this is maybe just my own personal soapbox, but if I were a network exec and I got a pilot and it was like, this is an anthology series and every season we'll cover this or whatever, I would know that you didn't know how the industry works. That's just how I feel about that. And I don't know if you guys disagree. I remember when I first moved to LA and then I got a manager and, I was, and he was asking me like, so what do you want to work on next? I was like, well, I have this really cool idea for an anthology. And he's like, I want to stop you right there. <laughs> <laughs> you need to really think hard about that because that's just not going to get a lot of play. They might not even want to read it. So think about how you want to invest your time at the beginning of your career because writing these samples takes time. So if you are going to spend the time to write a sample, a pilot, or spec, but usually pilot takes longer, then you want to write something that you know people will want to read. Think about it this way. From the network side of it, like from the side of the people with the money, you come in, you pitch a limited series. It's only going to be six episodes, but it's going to be amazing because that's the right amount of time to tell this story. From their perspective, what you have said is, I would like you to spend a bunch of money for something that you won't make more money off of other than six episodes. Networks and studios and producers, they create the shows they think will last the longest and be the most successful. A limited series is, again, something that's only going to come from a really big writer who they know they're going to make bank off of. Yeah, and it's a good rule of thumb in general to when you're thinking about a pilot, even if you're thinking, oh, this is just a sample, but you want to go in with the mindset of this is something that could sell. And what that usually means is that this is an idea that's going to generate hundreds of episodes, potentially. That's the kind of thing that showrunners and executives are looking for. Is this a writer who not just knows how to break story and who knows how to write a pilot, who knows TV structure, but who knows how to write the kind of pilot that clearly gives way to a series. I think a big mistake I made with my first writing sample was I made it very self-contained. And to be fair, I was very new to TV writing. I'd worked in features for such a long time that that's just how my brain worked. I thought movies have a beginning, middle and end and maybe a cliffhanger for a sequel. But a pilot is just that. It's it's launching a series. So you have to think about what's my series engine and make sure that that's very clearly baked into your pilot so that when somebody's reading it, they're like, okay, this writer knows how to write a show that could be on the air for a long time. That's that's what they want. We all are genre writers. So I, I wanted to ask you guys, I have maybe once, maybe twice written an original pilot and then on my own decided to do a fairly basic, but still a Bible to go along with it. It's something that if you're not having interest from producers or something like that, Bible is not something that you should have to do. But if you have, you know, like I wrote a a genre pilot that had monsters and I knew the general direction and like the reveals of the show. And I just put together, I think it was like a 15 page Bible. A lot of (laughs) then it wasn't even like full pages. There were pictures that I pulled off the internet and stuff like that. Just to show that in this very genre world building show, where it might go. Is that something you guys do too? Or do you feel like the pilot should just speak for itself? I'm of two minds. A lot of execs, they're not necessarily going to want to invest the time in reading an accompanying Bible. So the pilot is your big shot. But if the pilot interests them enough, then great. Then they will go to a Bible and they can see how much work you've done and they can see where it goes. I think of a Bible when I'm writing a pilot sample. Actually, this is one that you recommended to me, Erica. What did I say? (laughs) I remember I sent you a pilot and I asked for your your thoughts and you said there's so much here and it would really behoove you to write a Bible for it so that you know, just for yourself, you can see all the storylines played out over the season or the, the series. 
And then from there, you can figure out what absolutely has to go into the pilot. That's good advice, Erica. Thank you. Yeah, good job, <laughs> me. It's like bonus material, right? And I think it also, it is sometimes helpful for writers to be like, we want to put everything in the pilot. You know, we want to show our, our whole hand, but you don't want to resolve too much there. You want to hint at things, but you don't want to explicitly say them. And so I think, Jess, you said it well, that like, you want the pilot to stand on its own. That's all you can expect the exec to read. But if you hopefully hook them and they want to know more, then... Sometimes it's nice to have that extra document to be like, this little thing in the pilot, did you notice that? Because this is what it means. I would always say err on the side of more work, generally, because more work, it'll just make for a better sample. It'll get you more eyes and it'll just be better for story. For me personally, I have written an accompanying Bible and done a lookbook. And I'm the type of person that just does way too much work in general. It's a problem. I think we all are. <laughs> it helped me not just as a accompanying piece of material that could help me sell the pilot ideally, um, and that I could send to execs with the pilot if they wanted to see it, like bonus material, like you were saying. But it also helped me when I was making the lookbook to brainstorm and sort of think ahead, which also ties back into that idea of series legs. Where is this going? Where are these characters going? And knowing where they're headed and doing the work to actually put that down on paper in an organized way, that was really helpful for me to brainstorm ideas, story arcs, character. When I was writing the pilot, then it was helpful to just be like, okay, well, I wrote the pilot and I did all this other work, so maybe I should organize it into something that looks cool. Obviously, this episode is mostly about TV writing samples because that's such a clear dichotomy of spec versus original pilot. But just for you feature writers out there, I wanted to bring up that there is also a little bit of a dichotomy too for your, your feature samples. First of all, confusingly, feature samples are all called specs <laughs> as opposed to in TV where that just means you're writing an episode of something. So know the difference. I kind of think that there's two types of feature specs and there's a lot of crossover between them, but it's basically like, are you writing a sample feature? Or are you writing a feature to sell? If you write a sample, you don't have to consider a budget, right? And if you're someone like me who would love to write a Marvel movie someday, you're going to want to write a sample that shows that you can execute like a really big budget set piece or something like that. And if it's a sample as opposed to a sale, like you don't need to worry about that and you should do it. If you're writing something that you specifically want to sell or get made, then budget matters a lot because no one's going to necessarily greenlight a movie with a $150 million budget on a first-time writer. Especially as a genre writer, if you write a sci-fi spec feature that is low budget, but is a thriller, is really entertaining, but the producer can tell, like if the, if the producer were to give it to an AD and ask them to budget it, and it's only like five or $10 million, you could actually pull this off. You're so much more likely to sell that, but it also shows that you can write something with spectacle with with thrills that keeps you on the edge of your seat and isn't going to cost a lot of money. Those are the movies that do super well. So that's the kind of movie you want to write. A lot of producers are looking for contained, very makeable horror and sci-fi scripts. Like that's always going to be the case because the people who love those genres are willing to consume low budget versions of them as long as the premise and the action are cool. So I would say that samples are more useful than sales scripts because sales are just way rarer than, than jobs. And that's not to say you shouldn't do both. You absolutely should, especially if you want to direct or produce your own thing. Obviously, that's a different caveat. But like, if you're writing a spec feature as a sample, write it in the sandbox you want to play in, right? Like if you want to write the next James Bond movie, then write me a really cool sample that shows how your James Bond movie might look, but with different characters and a different premise. This is your chance to showcase the skills that you're best at. Like I tend to make sure all of my samples have 
creative set pieces. Like that's something that I really focus on. But if you think you really want to write movies with romantic tension, you're really good at that. Make sure that's in your spec feature. You know, if it's about horror movies and having creepy atmosphere because you want to write the next Conjuring movie, show me your version of that. Or if you're someone who loves to write historical stuff and you want to get a job doing the the biopic for Frederick Douglass or whatever, show me how you bring history alive in your writing and, and maybe that job can be yours. I think that's actually a really good note to, to sort of wrap this up on. Hopefully the general takeaway, if we want you guys to take away one thing from this episode, it would be that if you're trying to decide what to write, what should be your, your sample, your TV or feature, your spec or your original pilot, you just want to write something that is A, you're passionate about, B, you feel is in your wheelhouse and this is the best genre, this is the best story to showcase your skills. That's what you should really go for. So if that means take some time to you know, think about your genre, think about your story, your, what's a theme that you really like to write about, what are the types of characters you like to write about, and what is the best sample to showcase all of that? That's probably step one if you're trying to figure out what to write. Thank you for listening. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Untitled Female. You can email us any questions or ideas or just a what's up at Untitled Female Driven Podcast at gmail.com. If you are enjoying and learning uh, from this podcast, then please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.